You're listening to the Radical Disruption Podcast with Maya Nicole, nursing student turned multi-six-figure online entrepreneur. Here we talk all things real and raw when it comes to entrepreneurship and what it really takes to get to the next level. Leave the small biz talk at the door and buckle up for the tangible, tactical, and actionable steps that will help guide you in building a disruptive business. Let's dive into the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Radical Disruption. Today, we are going to be diving into things that I have failed at recently in my business. And one of the reasons why I wanted to start my podcast in the first place was to have a space where I can share more honest and open conversations around the reality of being an entrepreneur. So it's only fitting that this is one of the very first episodes to drop on the show And I just have to say, there will be many more conversations like this over the coming months. So if you love this episode, then buckle up. This is just the beginning of, like I said, the vulnerability, honest, open conversations. So I have six different things that I'm going to share with you today. Six different failures. And as I was thinking of, well, I came up with this podcast episode title and then I was like, oh, okay, well, I obviously need to think of the actual failures. (laughs) And so as I was writing out notes for today's show, just to make sure that I don't go off on tangents and actually remember all the things that I need to talk about, I was reflecting on the last few months and I these six failures really, really stuck out to me. And I hope that these messages that I share and the lessons that I share will really resonate with you. So with all that being said, let's jump into all of my failures. (laughs) Number one is disputed payments. So Let me give you my background on disputed payments before I share exactly why this disputed payment specifically is considered a failure. So with disputed payments, when I had my very first dispute, which I think was, I think it was in July or August, I had other payment issues previous to that, but I had never had a dispute. And when I had that very first dispute, I believe it was for $47 for IG University. And it wasn't even my fault that they had disputed that payment. Like, I think that they had forgotten to like cancel their membership or something. And then they just reported that charge as like a fraudulent charge instead of messaging my team and I and just saying, hey, can you refund this? Like, I accidentally forgot to cancel. And in which case we would have said, yeah, no big deal. Let's refund you. Anyways, most of the time what I've realized with disputes is that people should just try to contact the business before going to dispute their payments because we're pretty lenient and like we want to help you out. Like we're not here to, you know, make you have a bad experience. Like literally businesses thrive off of customer experience. But anyways, when I had that very first dispute, I had never heard anyone talk about disputes before. And I honestly didn't even know what a dispute was. Like I got the email and I was reading over the email and as I read over the email, like my heart sunk and I was like, what, like, what is this? Like, I didn't even, I didn't really fully comprehend what it was. I had to search on Google. I kid you not. I had to search on Google. What is a dispute? (laughs) And then from there on out with that one dispute, I had to figure out how to handle that dispute. I had to figure out how to, you know, respond to that dispute if I had to counter it or if I had to accept it. And then all sorts of things. I, I had to submit documents. I was like, what? I didn't even know what I was doing. 
I felt so lost and I also felt so defeated and frustrated and like a failure because I hadn't heard anyone else talk about disputed payments. And so I felt like I was the only one experiencing it. And I was like, this sucks because obviously I want to give a good customer experience. You know, I, I don't want people to feel like I'm ripping them off. And so I just felt like such a failure. And then as I got into one-on-one coaching and as I started joining masterminds and being in groups and settings with other entrepreneurs where I could ask questions and hear like their actual real and raw experiences versus just like, you know, the things that they post on social media, which not to say that like what they post on social media isn't authentic. It definitely is. But like those aren't conversations that I had seen on social media. But once I put myself or once I was in those spaces with these other entrepreneurs, people started talking about these disputed payments and how common they are and how they are, you know, navigating these things. And so that like really gave me comfort in knowing that it wasn't just a me problem. It was something that people just in general as business owners were experiencing. So if that is you, I just want to say I'm here to normalize it. It's not to say that disputes are now going to feel like nothing. Every single time I get a dispute still, I'm like, my heart sinks and I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. But I just want you to know that you're not alone. So that is my little rant on disputes. But this story is, this one's a stinger. This one like really hurt. Most of my disputes are like basically what I was just saying previously, like $47 from IG University. Someone forgot to, you know, cancel their membership. So they just dispute the payment, which Again, it doesn't really have anything that doesn't really say anything about me, but this one, on the other hand, stung a little bit because of the cost of it. So at the end of 2022 in December, uh, well, I guess just in, at the end of 2022 in general, so like really October, November, and December, I had the most amount of disputes ever, which makes sense because I had the most amount of transactions ever. So I had the most amount of customers and purchases that were coming into my business And while I have great contracts in terms of use, and I'm so grateful that I have those things set up to protect me as a business owner and also just clarify things to my customers of what they're going to get and what the expectation is, things still happen. And they, what I've learned over time is they just become lessons so that those same things won't happen again. I had a customer who purchased $1,200 worth of offers over a 48-hour period of time And this took place at the beginning of October and it wasn't a fraudulent purchase. Like someone didn't steal their card and purchase these things. It was, they purchased, like, I think they purchased a bundle offer that I had and then one other offer. And then 24 hours later, they purchased like one or two more of my offers. And so it was over a 48 hour period of time. It wasn't just all at once. And um, also this took place in October and then the dispute, they filed the dispute in December. And so I woke up and I was, you know, checking through my emails like I do. And I saw multiple disputed payments and my heart sunk because after I added up the total of all those disputed payments, I was like, this is a lot of money. You know, this isn't like a $47, you know, disputed charge. This is a $1,200 disputed charge because they purchased so many offers. 
And so I went through the whole process of, you know, countering the dispute and submitting evidence. And, you know, I really looked into this situation because I never want to counter a dispute if it were to be like a fraudulent, you know, someone actually had stolen their card and then, um, you know, purchased things that they didn't, you know, that that person with the card and the money didn't actually purchase themselves. So I, I do, I do some detective work and I really look into it and Stripe does give me really good data and I have really good data inside of like Kajabi, like if they've logged in and like all sorts of other things. I look through, you know, customer communication, like have they contacted me or my support team? Have they direct messaged me? And so, I, I mean, I look through all of the things and this person they reported these these charges as fraudulent. And after all of my looking, it definitely was not a fraudulent charge. And also the fact that, you know, they purchased it in October and then they didn't dispute the payments until December was also kind of fishy there. Anyways, long story short, I countered the dispute. I submitted the evidence and with disputes, it takes up to three months. It can be a it can be less, but they say up to three months for the bank to review it and to get back to you. And so I submitted that at the beginning of December. And then it wasn't up until the end of January when I found out that I had lost that dispute. So I lost $1,200 plus the fees of them like removing the money from my account. So when you have a dispute, they remove that money from your account. There's nothing that you can do about it unless you win the dispute and then it'll be returned. Plus, there's also fees on top of that. So I lost technically more than $1,200. And once the dispute has been decided, it's settled and there's nothing that you can do about it. Like you can't like counter it again or anything like that. So that was a really hard lesson, uh, mainly because of the amount of money that I had lost. And I had, I honestly had spent 45 minutes digging into this customer, all of their information, making sure it wasn't a fraudulent charge, all of these things. So I'd spent a lot of time looking into it, submitting evidence to only lose it. That was really, really hard. But again, all of these disputed payments have taught me lessons that I've then just put inside of my terms of use and my contract so it doesn't happen again in the future, or if it was to happen again in the future, that I would win that case. And so, for example, one thing specifically, I didn't add this after this dispute, but after another dispute that I had that I actually ended up losing that one as well. So I think I've lost three disputes. Um, This $1,200 one being the biggest one, but one of the other disputes, I should have won every single one of my disputes. I have only been in the wrong one time and honestly, like in the wrong, it was honestly just like a truthful mistake. Um, And I got it sorted out actually with the customer and everything worked out okay. But all the rest of them, except for that one, have all, I, I haven't been in the wrong as a business owner. So one of my previous disputes that I lost, I then added into like my terms of use chargebacks. And so basically saying like, you can't dispute your payments, like you need to come to the support team and we will handle it and we'll talk through it. Because again, like I was saying, most of these disputes are just people who are basically, they didn't cancel their account and they want that money back from not canceling, but like they should have just came to us and we just would have handled it for them. So that was a hard lesson. That was probably the biggest failure that I've had in my business recently, especially because I felt like I had really, really solid terms of use and contracts and like the information that I submitted, I felt like it was super, super solid. But at the end of the day, it's kind of up to the banks and 
yeah, it's just up to the banks and there's really not much that you can do after you submit the information. All right, number two. So I had a one-on-one client, this is another stinger, decide to stop working with me at the end of our container and then went on and started working with someone else that I had recommended them to work with. And I hadn't recommended that person because I didn't feel like I was a good fit for this client. I recommended that person because I had previously worked with that person. And I was like, yeah, they're super awesome. It wasn't like a, yeah, you should go work with them over me type of thing, which like if there were ever a situation where I didn't feel like I was a good fit, 100%, like I'm going to tell you, I'm not just going to like, you know, waste your time and money, um, which is why I actually have like a, especially for my one-on-one coaching, like I have an application process and I turn people away. I probably turn more people away than I actually take into my coaching. Like I would probably say I turn 75% of people away because they aren't a good fit or I'm not a good fit for them. And I do the same exact thing inside of my direct messages too. Like if you ask me about a program or one of my offers and like it's not a good fit for you, I'm not going to tell you to join just because I want to make money. Like that's not who I am. Like I'm going to say, no, this is not for you. Yes, this is for you. Or hey, no, actually this other offer would be better for you. Or I will refer you to someone else if I if I'm the person that can't like help you with what it is that you need help with. So this referral wasn't, it was like, oh yeah, like I've worked with them in the past. They're super awesome. And it wasn't like a, you should go work with them. So that one really stung. And honestly, in terms of lessons there, I'm trying to think of like, there's like a a big lesson (laughs) that I can learn from that. And honestly, I, I think that the lesson is like, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Like even if they do end up purchasing and signing up with you, it's like, it's okay to let people go if you're not their person. Even if you felt like you were their person, I mean, it's their decision at the end of the day to decide if like that's a good fit for them or not in their business. And so I even think of this in terms of like my one-on-one clients who don't renew with me, not necessarily that they like go somewhere else, but like the ones that don't renew with me, the way that I see that because and I've talked to my my one-on-one coaching people about this like with their clients. And I've had a lot of my one-on-one coaching students be like, well, I feel so torn. Like when they leave, like, I feel like it's because I did a bad job. And like, for me personally, what I've had to realize is like, it's just time for them to move on in their journey. And like, I'm grateful for the role that I was able to play and for, you know, the help that I was able to be to them. But ultimately, like, it's okay if people move on. It doesn't mean that you didn't do a good job. It just means that they're moving to whatever that next step is. And at the end of the day, like you want them to do what's best for their business. And so if that's what's best for them, like you just have to recognize like that's that's what they need to do. So I don't know if that's necessarily like a huge lesson there. I'm not going to stop recommending people. I'm not going to stop, you know, sharing all the, the accounts that I love at the end of the day, but that one was definitely a stinger. All right. Number three, I had a launch that I thought would sell out in the first 24 hours and I only had one person join out of the 15 spots that I had available. Again, this one just, it just sucked since the beginning of my business. I should say more recently, I haven't had a launch that like wasn't successful in terms of at least hitting like my minimum goal. Like my minimum goal for this launch specifically was to get eight people inside. 
Um, I usually have like a minimum goal. And then like, um, actually, I heard this explained way better than I'm going to explain it. So I'm going to explain it the way that someone else has explained it, that you have like a good, better and best goal for your launch. So like the good goal is like, you know, the minimum that you want to perform, the better would be the next level. And then the best would be like, you know, you sell it out. Like this is like a mind blowing, uh, a crazy, amazing launch. So in terms of this launch specifically, my good was eight, my better was 10, and my best was to sell out the whole thing. And so I didn't even hit my good, better, or best. (laughs) And I thought that it was, I honestly thought that it was going to sell out within the first 48 hours. I was confident about it. And yeah, it it didn't. It didn't. One person joined (laughs) the first 48 hours. And of course, I celebrated the heck out of that one person. But I was also inside like, oh, like that kind of sucks. Did that stop me then from continuing to sell it even after that 48 hour period though? No, it didn't. But I had, you know, set this good, better and best goal and I really wanted to hit that best and I didn't even hit any of those. So what I will say though is as a business owner, when it comes to launching, like there's always something more that you can do. And it's not to say that like, I don't mean that in the sense that like, oh, you got this result, like there's more that you could have done. What I mean is there's always more that you can do moving forward. So like for me, for example, in this exact scenario, what I can do now is up until the the date of this, like the start date of this specific offer, I'm going to continue to sell it. And I'm going to continue to talk about it all the time, talk about it in different ways. Like there's, there's still more for me to do, even though I thought that I was going to have this certain result in the first 48 hours, like I can still make this a good experience. What I would say as well is like, if you're launching, let's just say a course, for example, like you can extend deadlines. You can even push back like the start date of something that's live. Like there's always something that can be done in addition to what it is that you have done in the past. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm again, I'm not saying that you should look back and be like, oh, I should have done more. Like, yeah, there are situations where maybe you could have done more. But again, we can't control the past. We can only, you know, choose what we can do today. And so what I would say is look at what you can do today and how that could affect you moving forward. So that's what I would say about that. Number four, I had a reel (laughs) that went viral and I did not handle the trolls well. So what I mean by I didn't handle the trolls? Well, I didn't respond. I never respond to trolls. I just think it's not worth my time and energy. Also, I'm a very, <laughs> I'm a very blunt person sometimes. And especially when I'm emotional, like I, I have to step away before I respond to something sometimes because I don't want it to come across in the way that I don't, well, I don't want it to come across in a way that, I don't mean, if that makes sense. Like, I'm very blunt. And so sometimes it comes across as like cruel and (laughs) not at all how I mean it to come across. So sometimes I just have to like take a deep breath and like step away from it for 12, 24 hours until I have a clear mind and I can come back and like respond without emotions. With the trolls, though, I did not handle it well in terms of the mental and emotional side of things. So I was spiraling for, I kid you not, a whole entire week. And I wanted to burn down my business due to unkind people. And it's very, very weird because there are not a lot of things that 
affect me anymore. Like I've worked on my mindset so, so, so much. And like I, the reason why I have a coach is so that I can, you know, gain support with anything that's going on. And I work, I mean, I work on my mindset every single day. I think that is something like people who are like, they basically talk about like working on their mindset as like a thing that they did in the past and like as if it's going to last them forever. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like you have to work on your mindset every single day, no matter how strong your mind is. So this was definitely a weird situation for me because I have handled trolls. I mean, trolls pop up all the time. It's not like this one week specifically was the only time that I've struggled with trolls. I mean, trolls happen on a week to week basis, but on this scale, I kid you not, I blocked probably a hundred people, deleted probably a hundred messages just within this week. And that doesn't even include all of the messages that I didn't block. These were just the ones that like popped up at the top of my notifications and like I saw it and I deleted it. Like I didn't even go into that post and look through the comments and see those trolls. Like these were just what popped up in my notifications. So I was spiraling and I I had a cry session. I sat in my shower for a good 30 minutes crying my eyes out. And then once I had that cry session, which was at the end of the week, I was like, oh, actually, I- I'm fine. I'm okay. But something that one of my mentors says that I really like, and I just want to share this here, if you have experienced this, is she says, put yourself in their shoes. What would they have to be going through in their life to leave comments and send messages like they do? What would they have to be going through to stoop that low? And when I think of it in that way, it's like, oh, like they, they're they going through some things. And it makes me think of the saying, like, hurt people hurt people. And I totally, totally believe that. It's like they're probably hurting. And also another thing that I would say, too, is when you share things and people get triggered by those things, it's like it's not your job to heal them of their triggers. You can't put out content and you can't monitor the things that you say because you're worried about if it's going to trigger someone or not. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you say, no matter what you put out, like, I don't care what it is. There's going to be someone out there who's like, nope, this isn't for me. Or, yep, I feel triggered by this. And it's like, you can't hold back your voice and change the way that you're going to share things based on the potential of that happening at the end of the day. And so that's just something to think about is easier said than done to be like, oh, yeah, trolls are hurting inside. So that's why they do those things. It's not to say that you, like, I'm not trying to justify their actions. But when I do think of it in that way of like putting myself in their shoes, it's like, yeah, I think of it like this. If I go to a restaurant and I have a bad experience at a restaurant, do I leave a bad review? No. Me personally, like I'm not going to go out of my way to leave a bad review. But like I also think of it in this way, like how bad of a day or how bad of a year would I have to be having to go out of my way to leave a bad review at a store that I go to or at a restaurant that I go to or for an offer that I purchased. It's like, I would have to be having a pretty bad day, a pretty bad week, a pretty bad month, a pretty bad year for that to happen. And so again, it's just when you put yourself in those shoes, like it can kind of help again, not to justify their actions because what they do is wrong, like tearing other people down and bullying. It's like 100% it's wrong, but also like 
that to me, for in me, my personal experience, that's helped me to have a little more compassion. But again, easier said than done because I spiraled for an entire week, you know, and cried my eyes out before I was fine. So <laughs> it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. But that is the reality of social media, though, that I think a lot of people don't talk about is like how, you know, when you're when you're going through entrepreneurship by yourself and even when you have a mentor, it's like, I mean, you're still by yourself. You know, you're the one that's working in your office or in my case, I'm sitting here podcasting right now inside of my closet. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's just you that's the side of things that people don't talk about in on social media a lot is like the mental health side of things where, you know, you are the one that's sitting on the other side of that phone looking at those messages. And, you know, if you have had anything go viral or if you're just on TikTok at all, like even if you have 400 freaking views on TikTok, um, which that's usually what my views look like on TikTok. So that's why I said that. <laughs> the trolls are still there. TikTok is just like the absolute worst with trolls. I should talk about TikTok versus Instagram and one of these episodes but yeah that's just a whole nother topic man the the trolls on tiktok are just next level number five (laughs) i overbooked myself in january because i said yes to too many things so the basics of this is i way overcommitted and part of this was out of scarcity moving into a new year and what i mean by that is I felt a lot of pressure moving into 2023 to make sure that this year was as good or better as 2022. And so a lot of the things that I committed to in January were out of that place of like, what if 2023 is not everything that 2022 added up to be? Like, what if I can't achieve the same things? Like, what if I can't have the same experience that I had last year this year? And so that then led me to commit to a lot of things that I wouldn't have committed to had it not been January. Honestly, at the at the end of the day, like I just felt a lot of pressure in January to over-deliver, to hit goals that were honestly unrealistic in terms of time and in terms of just my capacity in general. And it was out of a place of scarcity, really truly at the end of the day, because I I mean starting a a new year, and I had never felt this way before coming off of 2022. That was such a high. I never felt this way, but the start of the new year, 2023, just felt so overwhelming to me because I looked at 2022 and everything that I achieved and not just in terms of income, but just in general, like how amazing 2022 was. And I was like, I don't know if I can cap that in 2023. And it's not to say that I have to cap that in 2023, but like I am someone who's definitely I mean, I'm I'm very driven. I I'm someone who pushes myself and I set really high goals and I know that I can achieve those goals. And so that definitely led to me saying yes to a lot of things that I probably should have said no to. And also another part of that too was underestimating the time that some things would take. Like, for example, I ran scalability for the very first time. Actually, I should have added, I should have added this as a lesson. I ran scalability. We're just going to add this right now. We're, we're adding this as a sixth lesson right now <laughs> or sixth failure that I had. Not that scalability itself was a failure, but I didn't plan as good as I should have planned in terms of me creating the trainings for scalability. So I 
started enrollment for scalability at the very beginning of December and scalability took place at the end of January. So I was like, oh yeah, a month and a half is plenty enough to come up with the trainings. And yes, I did have all of like my notes and everything organized, but I didn't have the slideshows created and I didn't have like, I mean, it was just notes. It was like bullet points and like random things here and there. And so nothing was organized. Could I had just like hopped on a training with those notes and like done a good training? Yes. But also like I wanted it to be, you know, a good experience. I wanted the slideshows to be in there. I wanted things to be organized and it wasn't organized. And I totally didn't even start organizing things really up until like a few days before scalability started. And that was a huge mistake. So I totally underestimated the time that it would take for me to build out the things that I needed to build out for scalability. And so I spent a lot of nights late up at night or early in the morning doing things that if I had just planned out my time a little better, I wouldn't have been struggling with that. But that was uh, the sixth lesson. So now the seventh lesson. This one, this one is actually hard to admit, and I don't think I've ever, ever talked about this before. Not just, yeah, really ever. I had never talked about this before, except for to my coach. So lesson number seven is I put two people specifically on a pedestal. One of these people was another speaker at an event that I did, and the other person was someone who had joined one of my offers. And what I mean by put them on a pedestal is, it, I mean, it's exactly how it sounds. Like I, in my head, I thought that those people were bigger, better, smarter, all of the things better than me. And it led me to feeling a bunch of imposter syndrome, which then affected how I showed up inside of my business, inside of my offers, inside of the event that I did, because I wanted to rise up to the level that they were at. But the reality was, is like, I was already on that level, but in my head, because I had put them on a pedestal, I saw myself as less than. And so it led me to then over-delivering inside of my offers. It led me to anxiety and stress. And again, just the imposter syndrome. When in reality, I should have looked at these people and been like, wow, I'm so honored to be able to teach this one person and to speak next to this other person. And instead, <laughs> I was like, I am less than. Why are these people, you know, why am why am I in these spaces with these people? So again, really, I should have just stepped into my power and really recognized that I am unique and really trusted myself and my skills and trusted that like I was in those spaces and teaching those people because of all the things that I've done inside of my business and like my knowledge and the brand that I've built and the trust that I've built with my community. But instead I was just doubting myself and doubting myself and doubting myself. So how did I end up getting over that? It was literally when my coach, when I was like, this is what's going on. And she's like, you're putting these people on a pedestal and no one should be put on a pedestal at the end of the day. Like it's good to have you know, people that you look up to. But when you put people on a pedestal, things start to get a little bit dangerous because you see them, you almost see them as human beings that don't have imperfections, which is not, that's not true of anyone, right? Because everyone has imperfections. Everyone has 
everyone has their own specialties. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone, like, when you put people on pedestals, you start to look at them as if they, I don't know, I don't know if this is the best way to explain it. Almost as if, like, they are a god. And, and, like, that is, like, the extreme side of things, right? Like, I'm not saying that, like, I necessarily thought of these people as, like, gods or anything. But, like, in a way, like, that is kind of what it's like. But when you do put people on a pedestal because you see them without flaws, and then it's like, well, of course it's going to be hard to live up to those expectations and those standards because you are human and you are flawed. So you're going to compare yourself and then you're going to feel down about yourself and you're going to feel like an imposter because you see them as someone who doesn't have flaws when you have flaws at the end of the day. So that was a really hard and huge lesson that I had to learn where I didn't even recognize that I was putting these people on a pedestal, but I was like, oh yeah, I mean, that is, it's 100% true that I was putting them on a pedestal and I did see them as these people who you know, we're, we're 100% perfect without flaws. And also I was comparing myself and my business to them when my business and my community and everything that I've built is so different than what they've built. And like, that is the power of being in this online space is like, no one can be you at the end of the day. And it's like the second that you start to be like someone else, it's like, yeah, like there's probably going to be imposter syndrome that starts to creep in because you're not being authentic to who you are at the end of the day. So lots of lessons, lots of failures. And I hope that, well, I hope that none of you have any of these failures, but also I hope that at the same time, if these things do happen, it's like you are a human being. Failures happen and it doesn't mean that it is the end and it doesn't mean that you are a bad business owner and that you're going to, your business is going to fail. It's like failures are so important in order for success to happen. And easier said than done, right? Because like this is this is a reflection on these failures. And when these things happened in the moment, like they were harder to work through. It's easier for me to sit here in this podcast with you and be like, yeah, like I was able to work through this and here are the lessons that I learned, you know, but like in the moment, it was hard to see these things. And so I think it's also important as business owners to reflect, you know, even on a weekly basis, like reflect on the things that have happened. And so you can really see how lessons come from these things and you can see and that'll give you then the power to be able to navigate things you know moving forward inside of your business but that is it for today and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode if this episode has served you in any way i'd love it if you shared what you've learned any aha moments that you may have had or something that you loved and tag me on instagram at maya nicole And if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review so that we can continue to learn and grow together. Thank you so much for your support. I love you and I'll talk to you in the next episode.